Yeah, I am Ladu Chaudhary. I am teaching political science and international relations at University of Rajasthan, Jaipur. Uh, my area of research basically deals with uh, India's foreign and uh, security policies, India's nuclear behavior in, in global order, and uh, the geopolitical situation unfolding in the Indo-Pacific region. I'm Bahagya Senara, a senior lecturer in the Department of Strategic Studies at General Sir John Potalavada Defense University, also known as KDOE in Sri Lanka. Uh, for a U.S. audience, uh, a senior lecturer is the equivalent of an associate professor uh, in the United States. I'm currently in Shanghai as a postdoctoral fellow in Global Asia with the Center for Global Asia at the New York University in Shanghai. Um, my research at the Center for Global Asia focuses on Sri Lanka's geopolitical importance and engagement with the Belt and Road Initiative. So I think uh, rightly situating myself with, for today's conversation with um, Lado. You're listening to Indo-Pacific Voices, a podcast for regional perspectives on a wide range of topics with one mission, to explore the emergent issues facing the Indo-Pacific. Thank you, Bhagya Senaratne. Uh, it's a very, indeed, pleasure to talk to you and to take you to the audience of Indo-Pacific Circle. Uh, as you have been writing on BRI and China's engagement uh, with regard to the Indo-Pacific and uh, especially with regard to Sri Lanka, uh, as we know that uh, BRI is now a decade-long China-led program to invest and uh, provide uh, loan related to construction to the BRI partner countries in a wider range of strategic sectors. And you have been writing this, that BRI is basically aimed to integrate global market and resources. But there is a skeptical skepticism is that BRI is not only in in economic dimension. They are on a larger global power politics canvas. There is a some hidden strategic objective that is suspected by the great powers and regional powers in the Indo-Pacific. So it will be great if you can highlight what are the major strategic objectives of, of the BRI and how this will impact the Indo-Pacific regional order in future. Thank you, Ladu. I think that's a fantastic question to start our discussion. Um, so you're talking about the strategic objectives. Let me just focus on that first and then go on to the uh, rest of the comments you made. So I think... Some of the strategic objectives, if you look at the surface, would be on soft power. So China has um, China has initiated this project, like you mentioned, roughly 10 years ago. Next year, we'll be celebrating 10 years of the Belt and Road Initiative. So one of the foremost um, objectives or foremost um, criteria I see through the BRI is to... Um, influence countries through soft power mechanisms. And that is important because this is this has always been China's um, strategy, so to say, in terms of influencing 
in terms of taking its um, name forward in the global arena. So soft power is also important because um, you are connecting with the people of the country. It's not just a government to government or a business uh, relationship, but you're actually connecting with the people. You're, you're giving people something that is required. It also means that through the Belt and Road Initiative, there is a lot of talk, there's a lot of um, ambition and even projects that are uh, bringing about to great interaction. Great interaction could be through physical hard connectivity measures like building railways, road networks, etc. And it also means um, interaction through people to people. You're, you're connecting people. Right. So these are some of the things that you can see uh, overall. So China is trying to foray into various regions, various countries. Um, and the bigger rhetoric is that China hasn't been in these areas. But I think it's also partly where China is trying to further some of the context. So, for example, uh, one of the misconceptions we see is China's interactions in Africa. In in the past, if you look at the history, China has been interacting, ancient China has been interacting with the African continent countries or regions in the African continent. So it's some of these connections that they are uh, improving on um, that you see. Um, so yes, Lado, so you see that yeah. over the 10 years or so, there has been a lot of soft power related activities to connect people. Yeah, that's great. But, you know, as we know in IR that uh, whatever mm -hmm. we see is uh, from the uh, point of vantage point or reference point where we are located. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. with regard to the BRI and mm -hmm. other ongoing projects in the Indo-Pacific region, uh, the great powers and the mm -hmm. major powers actually see BRI as a mechanism or a strategy to alter the balance of power. Uh, mm -hmm. to, to alter the existing order. Whereas yes. I think the small island countries and the regional uh, countries who are partner to the BRI, they see it as a different way. And the host mm -hmm. country, which is China, also see it in from a different vantage point altogether that they are thinking about uh, inclusiveness, development of the underdevelopment, and... Uh, providing assistance to who cannot actually stand up and say something against the Western hegemonic order. So I would, I think it would be great that if you can highlight that how BRI partner actually visualize this entire project. Is it as a power projection? Yeah. Is it as a developmental strategy? Or there is something beyond that uh, from a vantage point of island countries and partner mm -hmm. countries? Okay, so it depends. It really depends Radu, on uh, whether you see the glass half full or half empty. So you can look at it from both sides of the coin. If you right. want to be critical of the Belt and Road Initiative, there are opportunities, there are ways to do that. Like you said, it could be where certain countries, the greater powers, the existing uh, powers, regional or global, feel that China's um, foreign into all China's interactions through the Belt and Road Initiative are a threat to their status quo, the existing status quo, right? But if you also look at the flip side, it also means that these countries, these the existing 
power dynamic hasn't done much that actually benefits the host countries, the countries that are benefiting from or have partnered with the Belt and Road Initiative. Um, and that is, I think, the difference. So partner countries feel like there is an opportunity here for them to engage with, like you mentioned, development in terms of connectivity. And the Belt and Road Initiative, uh, I'm not whitewashing the initiative. What you need to understand is it gives countries that have not had an opportunity uh, to develop an avenue to do so because there is the possibility of um, funding, there is possibility of connectivity. It also opens up uh, partnership opportunities. And in the Belt and Road Initiative is not necessarily just China, but you also see different countries can work with one another through this platform. Yeah. So that's wonderful. And I will come to the Sri Lankan case that being in a very important VRI uh, uh, partner in the South Asian region. Yeah. But before coming to that, I would like to know for the mm -hmm. interest of the audience that uh, with regard to the objective related to the development in price structure, trade and investment, mm -hmm. there are so many parallel initiatives are going on. Like BRI, mm -hmm. Quad members also pursuing an Indo-Pacific strategy. Mm -hmm. And they are also expanding in price structure, trade and investment and green economy and climate change, all non-traditional, uh, addressing all non-traditional threats and need for the future generations. So in this tight competition for advancing this kind of vision, what attracts the regional press towards China uh, and not to the other mm -hmm. countries? So what could be the specific characteristics of BRI which can distinguish uh, or which can help the island countries to 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 find out which proposal is better in terms of expanding infrastructure trade and investment okay so what you need to say is the bri has actually from 2013 the bri has been uh, very articulate uh, about what it wants to do. China has been very articulate about their strategy, what, what they want to do in terms of the six corridors and how they're planning on connecting countries. Um, we also see that through the in, um, establishment of the AIIB, the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank, in um, 2014, they bring in um, a somewhat of a transparent mechanism to show this is where the funding will go through. We also see the Silk Road Fund. You draw parallels to the Quad. Um, so, Lado, even though yeah, the Quad yeah. was established in 2007, you don't really see a lot of engagement with the Quad till very much later. So, it's interesting, roughly interesting. five years, like 2017, that, that you actually see the Quad thinking, okay, here's what we really need to do. We need to reformulate ourselves and think right. about our actions, right? Um, we see this specifically because of Australia's um, uh, hesitance to kind of take a role in the court, right? So Australia backed down. The initiative didn't really do anything much for about a decade. But now the court has come on board. They realize there is a space for them to 
navigate the e-space for them to engage um, with countries, right? And one could even argue that it's also competing with China's Belt and Road Initiative and that uh, it's, it's, it's creating uh, different partnerships with countries, right? Um, it could also be seen that the pod has come in a little too late, only after uh, the Belt and Road Initiative has come through. So you were asking how uh, how this benefits countries. So I think um, I think a very simple answer would be it gives countries options. It gives countries the possibility of leveraging right. between these two um, these two uh, partnership opportunities um, with the Belt and Road Initiative and the quad driven mechanisms. Um, and the Belt and Road Initiative, of course, you see a lot of funding is there, right? I mean, take, for example, you're from India. India isn't a part of the Belt and Road Initiative. But if you look at the statistics from the AIIB, India is a major uh, benefactor from the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank, right? So the Asian, right. I think, yeah, I think the mechanisms that are in place through the Belt and Road Initiative are giving countries opportunities to seek funding, seek additional funding, uh, alternatives, which I think we are lacking right now um, in the global order, because there's a lot of um, lot of emphasis on maintaining status quo. Right. So I think that's where this challenge comes in for the Belt and Road Initiative, that it's changing. Um, the narrative is changing the existing status quo. Yeah, but, uh, you know, uh, when we go deeper into the BRI project and their financing mechanisms, uh, mm -hmm. a report by Green Finance and Development Center of Fodan University mm -hmm. of January 2022 states that BRI's component in terms of providing investment is decreasing and providing construction loan is increasing. Mm -hmm, and this mm -hmm. is something worrying because yeah. providing loan and construction make countries more dependent and yeah. miserable uh, like what happened in the Sri Lankan case, mm -hmm. where I think you have written in uh, January 2021, where you highlighted mm -hmm. that uh, why Sri Lanka is seeking uh, financial help from China and because mm -hmm. of three factors, uh, domestic compulsions, uh, national development, fulfilling national development goals and the strategic culture mm -hmm. of China, sorry, yeah. Sri Lanka, Sri Lanka. Uh, yeah. drives towards China. But, mm -hmm. you know, recently uh, we have seen during the crisis that mm -hmm. Sri Lanka become a reluctant player to help out China and you have wrote it about it in May 2022nd uh, for the Indo uh, mm -hmm. South, South South Asian Voices. Yes, I do. So, yeah. so I think this is something which can you know make BRI partners in the region skeptical about Chinese objectives. Number one. Mm -hmm. Number mm -hmm. two. Uh, this can also lead to a kind of binary opposition between the BRI. And mm -hmm. the, the Quad Partners and Indo-Pacific strategies of the mm -hmm. liberal, liberal countries. So how mm -hmm. 
to to settle down this debate uh, what could be your uh, take on this yeah um so i think that's the million dollar question we have right now in sri lanka ladu because uh, i stand by what i've written in terms of uh, sri lanka's engagement with china it was purely domestic right uh, we required a lot of um, infrastructure development we required a lot of um, domestic um a development since um the end of the um internal crisis the like war in sri lanka in 2009 we understand that there was a financial crisis at that time around the world and obviously countries couldn't focus on providing large sums of money to others but china was at a phase when they were they were reaching out to other countries and they had the capital to invest um with regard to um the transparency there there are obviously question, questions on bri statistics and uh the transparency of the money coming and going so i like i said i'm not whitewashing the belt and road initiative it has its own set of problems but what i think stands out is that through this collective this collective funding countries like sri lanka are able to reach out and tender their interests and say look this is a project that we require funding um is there a possibility for us to right. get it right? right and you also mentioned about the loans now here's where i think we can't necessarily always blame china i think we the domestic whatever country that is seeking these projects has a equal or more responsibility even and this is something i've always mentioned um i think i would blame the country going for these loans and accepting it instead of seeing whether they can negotiate something different right um it's it's similar to how you would have your personal loan at a bank you wouldn't necessarily take uh take what the bank is saying um just because it's the bank right you would try to ration out um conditions and see if it's feasible for you so my my thing is if if countries are going to various development partners if countries are going to development organizations then that is why we have diplomacy this is why we have um negotiating teams they should be negotiating on behalf of their country and saying look we cannot afford this this is what we can go for or if we are talking of a loan if there is no compromise but here are the rates we can pay and here are here's how we you know you you figure it out yes but um i don't think it's it's um it's fair uh, to only blame china my thing is you need to give equal responsibility if probably more to the country that is taking the loan and if it's in if we are saying sri lanka then i would say sri lanka needs to take a lot of that blame for not negotiating properly um so i think that kind of turns the narrative you we were talking about china's objective if china really is trying to do this to countries i think that gives you a different perception um yeah. on what is going on right yeah, um yeah. and in terms of the development again each country has its own own requirements each country yeah. needs to look at its domestic um its national interests so what are countries a b c d's interests so in this case 
for Sri Lanka? What are Sri Lanka's interests? What are our priorities? So in the aftermath of the war, our priority was to uh, in increase connectivity in the country. I don't know if you've been to Sri Lanka, but before, like a decade ago, Sri Lanka's connectivity between cities, between regions was horrible. But now we see a better engagement. We can, I mean, thanks to some of these projects that have come up, we don't need to spend two, two and a half hours um, or three hours from Colombo, traveling from Colombo to Gaul. We can now go in one hour. So I think that is important. I've also had uh, friends. I've also spoken to business people who've mentioned this lack of connectivity within Sri Lanka diminishes its possibility for further development because no investor is going to want to travel for five hours to get from point A to B in a really small country, 65,000 square kilometers, right, in Sri Lanka. Yeah. yeah. So we have to improve this. If Sri Lanka is talking about, uh, it talks of these narratives of wanting to be a hub in the Indian Ocean, wanting to expand and bring in more investment, then I think connectivity in terms of physical infrastructure is an absolute necessity. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. You are right, but you know that uh, it's not about blaming, but uh, when we become critical, it begs us to get better alternative or policy options. Uh, what actually I am seeing is that uh, in international politics, the the uh, test to find out the strongness of friendness and mutual trust is the crisis. In the crisis mm -hmm. situation, who stood strongly with you, uh, which mm -hmm. makes you the friends credible and and uh, enhance or enrich trust between the partners. Uh, I would be very happy. Uh, to know uh, because we really don't know the internal situation in Sri Lanka and we hope that it gets better. Uh, but I'm just curious to know that how BRI-related projects help Sri Lanka during recent crisis because you have elaborated that infrastructure development before that and the projects going are definitely helping. But at the time of crisis, uh, mm -hmm. how BRI-related projects help uh, Sri Lanka to come out of the situation. Okay, so what we need to understand is the crisis was uh, predominantly economic, financial related, and it had a lot of internal misgivings, right? So from financial mismanagement to not not taking proper decisions at the right time um, by the government at the time. And this is, crisis is not something uh, that happened overnight, Ladu. It had been brewing for a while. And if you're conscious of the Sri Lankan situation, um, our politics have been somewhat volatile over the past five, six years, right? So that, I mean, I think between this political struggle, leaders didn't really want to take any action about it. Um, it's difficult to sort of compare the BRI-related projects because they are of a different nature to the financial crisis. Now, for example, um, we have projects like um, the uh, highways um, from the airport to Colombo. We also have the Southern Expressway from Colombo to Gaul, now going all the way to Hambantota. So these 
are there. They, they are generating incomes. But we also have projects that a lot of people say, for example, like the Hambantota Port, which is not a BRI-related project, right? Even though a lot of people quote it as a BRI-related project, it's not. It started uh, in 2007. It received funding way before in the mid-90s. And it's also a project, if, a lot of people don't know this history, but it's a project that was initially conceptualized in the mid-80s. So it has no connection whatsoever to the Belgian Road Initiative. Yeah. If you're trying to say, if you're trying to say that these uh, projects like, say, Hambantota or the Matale Airport, that these are, it's because we are in this crisis because of these loans, then I think that's a far cry uh, because we also have um, loans to other multilateral organizations, other bilateral loans that, you know, we need to pay equally. But we have to see how, again, this is something purely domestic. We have to see in Sri Lanka, how are we going to utilize these projects? Say if it's to drive tourism, if it's to drive businesses, how are we going to make use of these projects to generate more of an income? So I think that yeah. is where you can connect uh, these projects to the crisis. But I'm I'm actually working on a different paper. But you, I can give you several reasons uh, for mm -hmm. this crisis, right? And if at all, one of the last things you could say is this untimely payment of um, loans. But yeah. mismanagement, financial mismanagement, is probably at the top in terms of government, Sri Lankan government financial mismanagement. We have COVID-related policies that came forward. We have things like um, printing money. We've been printing a tons of money, billions of money. So I don't think any of these things are really helping Sri Lanka. And I think we also see some of the leaders do not have not in the past listened to expert advice. So I think... Mm -hmm. That is a better way of connecting what is going on in Sri Lanka. Though I know a lot of people like to use um, the Hapantata Harbour as an example for the BRI failing, which I think is is not right, not correct, because they are completely two different things. Yeah, I agree. But uh, what actually I'm trying to get is not that uh, the crisis is actually led by or is contributed by the BRI loans, but I'm more interested to know that I like, you know, tsunami 2004 led mm -hmm. to the, you know, this uh, quad because we countries cooperated during the tsunami led mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. rethink them that there's a possibility for counting natural disaster in a, in an uncertain Absolutely. situation. So similarly, BRI partner may be visualizing that when we will fall into a crisis like Sri Lankan crisis because of domestic mm. reason, because of so many other reasons. Mm. How can this partnership will be helpful for us? So I mm. think from this vantage point, mm. do you think that China's behavior and instant during the Sri Lankan crisis would make the other BRI partner to rethink about their association with BRI? Because they must be thinking that there's a possible, better possible alternative to them. Because as you also mm -hmm. mentioned in your uh, piece of South Asian Voice that Japan and other countries actually help out Sri Lankan better than 
what Chinese did during the crisis. Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. I'm just yeah. asking that whether yeah. this crisis and China's engagement during crisis, mm -hmm. not attributing by BRI, that's we are not debating it right now, but yeah. is that behavior actually make other countries to rethink about the BRI partnership? It's, it's quite possible, Lado, because um, if, if you've seen the bilateral relations between Sri Lanka and China, we've had fairly um, fairly decent, fairly good, um, strong friendships. I think that was one of the reasons why India <clears throat> was also very worried about the development of the relationship between Sri Lanka and um, China. Now, you mentioned about um, China's assistance during this crisis. I think that is one of the biggest questions we have. Um, if China is such a good friend, why is it that there hasn't been a lot of engagement, a lot of support for Sri Lanka, right? Um, this is something I have been reading and uh, writing on this uh, past few months, because if you look at the data, um, it's been mm -hmm. about 2.5 billion that's come through uh, with uh, a 1.5 credit line billion credit line rather um, and the credit line is on hold till mm. the IMF deal comes through and we also see on the flip side the IMF is saying Sri Lanka needs to engage with its bilateral creditors and then inform as to what the negotiations were the results of the negotiations were mm -hmm. so that the IMF uh, package can come through so now Sri Lanka is between the rock, rock and a hard place because it seems like neither neither of these negotiations are going falling through, right? So if for, for us in Sri Lanka, I think the bigger thing is how are we going to renegotiate this? Why is it that China is reluctant? All of a sudden, uh, after being really forthcoming uh, and very generous and helpful, even during the COVID crisis, even before. So why is it that now they are saying, they don't want to restructure. Is it because it would set a precedent and um, call, you know, enable other countries to also want to do that? Is that something China is not uh, comfortable? Or are we thinking of, uh, uh, like you said, but, we, but if you look at the literature, if you look at recent uh, discussions, Ecuador has managed to restructure some of its loans with China. So there is some hope for Sri Lanka that it might, but again, it depends on how we are going to push and pull um, China into coming onto the negotiating uh, negotiation table, right? Um, and whether uh, this raises a red flag, I believe it would, because countries are going to think twice, would be apprehensive, as we have seen in Sri Lanka, but the Sri Lankan stance has been very clear that we are not going to give any preferential treatment to any country. Even if it's China, we will not be giving any preferential treatment. If uh, the central bank has made it really clear, we are renegotiating bilaterally with everyone, and that is the policy, right? So uh, whether China is going to um, accommodate this is something we'll have to see. But right now, I think with all that is going on, um, we haven't seen a positive response yet from China. Okay. Uh, I think this leads to me the final questions. I have two questions. Uh -huh. uh, 
because we okay. must be running out of the time. Uh, first mm -hmm. is, does the BRI and Quad and Sagar uh, of India's project complicates the strategic choices of countries like Sri Lanka or are these project mutually complementing and diversifies the pursuit of Sri Lanka and other island countries' national interest. Uh, because, you know, these projects are giving multiple options to these, these small island countries or island countries which are significant strategically. And the, the final question would be, a, what is your suggestion uh, to the Indo-Pacific uh, uh, countries that how they should engage with the great powers uh, for betterment of their national interest and betterment of the region and peace and security in the region. Mm -hmm. So like you mentioned, Ladu, absolutely, these projects, um, BRI, Sagar, Quad, all of them are complementary. They are giving countries options, right? And I think this is something that's been lacking for the greatest time because um, countries didn't have power to leverage one another. Um, we talk of balance of balancing countries. We talk of hedging. Uh, there's also wedging of countries. So I th think these are concepts that countries can use or will use in the future uh, when interacting with one another. Um, I don't see this, um, uh, these uh, projects competing with each other because for a country that is looking for options, it's 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 a blessing to have so many so many out there so many options out there right so you can pick and choose if one doesn't work you can go to the other or you can even um, like tailor made make something for that's suitable for you so i think this is uh, this is probably the way forward in terms of um, uh, smaller countries like sri lanka engaging with the belt and road initiative engaging with um, the quad um, Sagar, I have a paper coming out about uh, uh, the wedging of great powers. I will uh, let you know um, when that appears. That's available for um, anyone to read. In terms of the opportunities in the Indo-Pacific, I th I think it's it's absolutely uh, it's all about a national interest. What are your country's interests? I think that should be the premise from which. Um, countries should leverage, right? It's not about compromising your interests. It's not about succumbing to the interests of greater powers, but you need to be clear uh, about your country's position and your country's requirements and seeing whether a partner country, a multilateral organization or bilaterally could support the initiatives you have in mind. So I think if if countries work uh, along that way, because uh, then it would definitely help them uh, move forward and not not find themselves in compromising situations, right? That's so it, yeah, so focusing on their interests um, is, I think, the way to go because we see this. Um, if you look at even you were talking about the international system, you were talking about IR theory, but if you look at if you look at the international system, the greater powers do actually focus on their own interests. So why is it that the smaller countries uh, regional, regionally aren't doing the same, right? So I think going forward, countries should 
uh, engage more heavily on um, their interests and not compromise on those interests. Right, right. So with this, I think uh, we have enriched the existing narrative. Uh, and I am very thankful to Dr. Bhagya Senaratna for thoughtful and thought-provoking ideas and insights on BRI and how uh, island countries should respond to alternative strategies or platforms and initiatives to them and how they should engage and get enriched or intensify their national interest and objective. Thank you so much, Bhagya Senaratna. Thank you, Lazu. Thank you for the opportunity. It was lovely talking to you. Thank you.